Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devi Kagirish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. Recently, I was at the Locarno Film Festival in Switzerland, where I participated in a fascinating experimental event called The Future of Attention, curated by Rafael Dernbach, a researcher at the Università della Svizzera Italiana. It was a continuous 24-hour live talk moderated by three hosts, including yours truly, and involving a new guest each hour. The event began at noon on August 10th and went on all the way to noon on August 11th. Attendees were invited to sit, lounge, or even sleep in the audience whenever they wished. The idea was not just to discuss the workings of attention in contemporary film and media culture, but also to actively experience and challenge the various ways in which we pay attention over a sustained period of time. Over the next couple weeks, we'll be sharing excerpts from my hosting shift at the event, which featured some really exciting guests, from filmmaker Helena Whitman to artist Hito Style to scholar Kevin Beely, among others. First up is Whitman, who talks about her new film, Human Flowers of Flesh, and the ways in which her practice is rooted in embodied and communal experiences of time and space. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Castro, and thank you, everybody who's here. I'm Devika Girish. I'm a film critic and editor. I'm the host of the Film Comment podcast, where we will be sharing this conversation. And I'm really excited to be here today to start my marathon portion of this 24-hour talk with the filmmaker, Helena Whitman. Thank you. Helena, um, I, I'd love to hear you describe what you do in your own words. Wow. <laughs> so what do I do? I mean, I do many things, of course. Um, and because I'm um, curious about many things, um, maybe it's the reason why I got to filmmaking. Um, because, it, of course, it involves uh, so many different spheres um po the possibility for complexity um different senses and moving around people so i guess that's uh that's part of what i'm doing or to to find that form for yeah, yeah. what i'm looking for so i told you this yesterday when we met but i wanted to say it again uh, uh you know in front of the audience that when i first saw your first feature drift uh, which came out in 2018, I believe. I, 17. 2017, I saw it in 2018 in New York. I fell asleep while watching it. And I told you this, that this is one of the highest compliments I can give to a filmmaker. If you all don't know Drift, um, first of all, it's a stunning film, um, absolutely stunning film, which is composed in large part of images of the ocean. And it is a film that really invites you to pay attention but also to lose attention to lose yourself in the rhythms of the ocean and the film and it just lulled me into a beautiful nap in the movie theater and i've seen the film since so it's not like i never you know saw it all awake but that first memory has stuck with me so deeply because it's almost like um i entered a reverie that you know melded with the film and i wanted to ask you to start off um you know, what kind of viewer attention are you going for when you make your films? Because your, your work is very elemental. You know, it's not narrative necessarily. It's very elemental. So what is the effect you're going for with your images? Yeah, it's funny because it ended with Laurie Anderson kind of um, answering that question. And I could, I can completely join in as to so many other um, aspects she was saying. Um, and I said it in the masterclass I was doing also that I don't really know what the audience is. I mean, for me, it doesn't exist in, in as a whole or as an idea. It doesn't work for me very well. And I don't, I really 
don't think of it while making the film, which doesn't mean that I'm not willing to share because I, of course I want to share the film afterwards, but I don't know who will respond. And it's always an open question. So, uh, and it's really nice these days, actually, it was really intense with the new film because as with Drift, you have the ones that like relate very easily and the ones that don't relate at all. Um, both is fine, but it's really it's really interesting to hear at what point and when you start talking about it, like where you get. And so for me, it's 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 this also again a curiosity or something I don't know. Um, when the film once it's out, okay, what's going to happen? Like, how will we talk about it? Like, I don't know. I don't. I really don't know behind. I mean, it's not like a coquette or anything. It, it's it's really like that. <laughs> you mentioned yesterday when we were talking about this yeah. that there are some films that you've fallen asleep in that yes. you love. Uh, yes, could you totally. describe those experiences? No, no, no. That's why. Um, and actually, yesterday I was telling because one, ah, there she is. Um, Colleen, no, it's your name. Yeah, she also fell asleep during my film and she confessed it to me yesterday. During Drift or Human Flowers? Human Flowers of Flash. And, and I told her, oh, that's not <laughs> And now we're talking about it um, because it's true. And I had this, I mean, it happened to me several times. And I must say that uh, like maybe 10 years ago, I was still, uh, it, it was much easier for me to fall asleep in the cinema. Now it's not happening so much anymore, actually. Um... But one was, um, and it's a film that I have seen many times since, and it's a bit obvious, but it really happened. It was Tropical Melody by Apichat Pong, Vera Setakul. And, um, and I remember it was the second film of his that I had, that I saw. And I remember the moment waking up also, which was, uh, I don't know who knows the film, I'm sure many of you, but when the, when there are the fireflies in the tree and it was like really, uh, completely magic. You know, you wake up in the dark and then you see this tree and it's like, uh, I don't know. It, it yeah, it, it felt really magical. And of course there was an ellipse of my sleep, but something else was going on and you still hear the sounds. I was also talking to Nika, who is, uh, whom I'm working with always, and who who's um, the compositor um, of our films, but um, that you you can't really um, close your ears, of course, in the cinema. You can you can close your eyes, and even if you fall asleep, I think like that sounds still enter your body and do something. There's yes, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, and also, I should say that if anyone falls asleep during this hour, we will take it as a great compliment. So, <laughs> I did want to talk about the relationship between image and sound in your films and how each invites the attention of the mind and the body. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about which is the stronger element for you while making the film? Are, are you thinking of the images first and then the sound comes later or vice versa? Um, both ways exist, really. Um, for example, um, let me think of an example. But, but I know, for example, when I'm writing, I very often listen to things. So I, I look for or sounds or music. Some are recorded from the archive that we have that I remember, but some are really um, sounds that I'm looking for, for example, for, in, in the new film, when I was writing the scene where it goes underwater, I was really looking for underwater sounds to write it and to feel like, okay, what would be the duration of this um, shot and so on. So, so yes, it's, it mingles because um, then also images, of course, I, I go a lot and I see a situation or a place or a face um, and that inspires me as much so i think in these terms there's no hierarchy for me really not and then also how we treat it afterwards it's um i mean laurie said this like with you know taking an object and looking at, at it from different perspectives or from different sides and this is also something that very much um move, moves me um 
motivates me in terms of, okay, not believe the first thing you see or you hear. And then when I work on a film, of course, I'm in control of many things. And then especially, and then it gets really interesting, like the relationship between image and sound because you have an image but in all my films it's very much the sound is very much built completely I mean you think it's very subtle but it's uh so it's really a composition and and what do you mean by that like built, it's like built, it's not it's there's not very very little very little original sound okay. there is and uh but it's rarely stands alone uh if there is and then it's really it makes such a difference like it can be just one sound like uh, in the in the far like some i don't know some car making a strange sound but when you put it at a certain point it changes the rhythm of the scene even though it's not in the foreground it's but this is again also what happens to sound that it's um, it's not i think we are more visually in times of like hierarchy of senses when we talk about it but i really think that sound enters earlier and somehow um does a lot with your per per perception yeah. yeah i mean we like you were saying we can't control the reception of sound as much as we can with images i mean you yeah. can plug your ears but you can't really close out um sound from your body in the same way as images and so yeah. in a way you're invaded by sound yeah you can even feel it no in different right. i mean depending of course on the frequencies but and I mean, that's also true with light, where it, again, or waves, by the way, but the light waves, of course, you when you close your eyes, you still feel light, um, but it's different, like sound, light is not sound, you know, image, right? yeah, and sound, yeah. you feel it in your body, you know, you when you have a bus, it's like, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's not only your ears. Right. So um, I wanted to use this to do a little exercise that you and I discussed. So um, Helena, for her new film, Human Flowers of the, uh, of the Flesh, um, she wrote a little text, actually, about, about recording sound. It's a very mm -hmm. beautiful text. Um, and I'd love it if you could read it out. With pleasure. It's uh... Uh, Yeah, and while I, I was reading it, I was just thinking about how I would receive it differently if it was read out. Yeah. Because it is so much about listening. And then we'll do a little exercise. So... Yes, or just a moment together because it's, yeah, yeah, you will see. I will yeah. read first and then I, it's very easy that don't be afraid. So it's uh, called Fleeting. The text is called Fleeting. It's different. I don't know, like, if there's non English speaking because I didn't know this was the translation in German. It's Flüchtiges. So it's something like ephemeral, like something, you know, that just, well, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So small. This room is very small and you enter and you enter through a door that opens inward. To close it again, you need to be completely in the room, turn around in place and make yourself thin. Then you're standing in a narrow corridor facing a wooden bunk bed and the beds are narrow too, maybe 70 centimeters and barely two meters long. The only window is round. We've adjusted to the room's narrowness because here below everything is like this. The doors are low, the bathtub is cramped, the steps are small and compact. In a room of nine square meters, six people can sleep in three bunk beds. We've already been on board for a few days and it's completely normal for us to turn around in place and to close the doors. Waiting to let someone else pass is one of our everyday gestures. Vladimir entered the room before me, and to do so, bent his upper back forward and lowered his head. He's definitely two meters tall. He's slender, but long. It is already evening, dark outside. Vladimir lies down in the upper bunk and turns onto his side. The tripod legs fit the circumstances as best as possible and find their footing in the edges and corners. I somehow managed to position myself behind the camera and look through the viewfinder. Vladimir's face is turned towards the camera. We are close to each other. This is the only way possible. It's been five years since I spent my first night on a sailing boat myself. Back then, I lay there and followed the noises as if they could be caught. 
These noises were new to me and they came at me from every imaginable direction. My body moved along with the boat, with the waves and the sea. And since there is a movement behind every noise, and on a boat, everyone and everything is at the mercy of this movement, my body went along with the noises right away too. A strange entanglement, intermingling, in which it became hard to feel the boundaries of one's own body anymore. The script says, scene 45, in turn, uh, no, interior sailing yacht cabin night. Vladimir is lying on his bunk in the dark, his eyes open. He listens attentively to the noises around him. Low, drowning sounds that echo through the entire body of the boat and a lot of quieter noises that can hardly be pinpointed. Listening for long enough produces a sonic landscapes with countless levels. Now it is Vladimir experiencing his first night in the belly of a boat, his first night on the open sea. The directions are very simple. Listen. Vladimir's eyes are open, and from the start, they are directed more inwards than outwards. The cabin door is closed. There are three of us, and we remain, we remain very quiet. And we've also asked everyone else on the boat for calm, because every noise will be carried through the body of the boat, and right now, we only want to hear the sea and the wind, and the boat in the sea and the wind. Wood, steel, sails, water, air. All kinds of things move together here. Only the people on board stay still during the take. I hear my own breath while I watch Vladimir through the viewfinder. And I think that everyone else on board hears their own breath too while they stay still. That all 16 people on the boat at this moment are in a similar state. Maybe they watch each other quietly if they are seated together at a table. Maybe they are looking down too at the tabletop. Or they stare into the distance, the darkness over the sea. And while wave after wave after wave after wave breaks, I continue looking at Vladimir's face. We both listen, protect, protecting the calm as if it were fleeting and especially valuable. At some point, his eyelids fall out of the rhythm with his eyes. They roll upwards, becoming white. The water in the tank slaps against the steel walls. The slapping is loud, very loud. The dark brown irises roll briefly back down, but then slip up again under the lids, which never cover the eyes completely. The sound of ropes can be heard under tension. You can hear the power here. First, the sound drags out, then comes a series of sounds almost crackling, then a new muted thud in a half-empty steel water tank. Listening, Vladimir's eyes move in, a, in an in-between state, uncontrolled, their white surface brightening more and more. I know that he suffers from seasickness, and he surrendered himself to the boat at the sea. He's also surrendered himself to my gaze through the camera, which sits on the tripod half a meter away from his face. And everyone on board the boat remains still. Everything is concentrated on this first night on the boat. If only this moment wouldn't end so soon, I think. Now I must cry. <laughs> oh, because I missed one. The concentration, the dedication, this shared experience, this re relief, relived experience but it will end of course it has to end i don't know how long we've been here below listening but i know i can't film forever the situation cannot be maintained forever i turn off the camera then a voice can be heard in the cabin just one single word as few as possible to delay the dissipation of the state to maintain it as long as possible the voice a soft thank you So, and, and I told Evika uh, yesterday that, um, that actually these moments of um, recording sound, I mean, here we are in a scene, but even like to record the atmospheric sound um, during a shooting, which we all do, um, is, is uh, very precious moments to me because um, it's completely still and you, 
we enter this similar state. And it's mostly like one to here with us, it's more two minutes sometimes. And I wanted to suggest to to do it without recording. Now, I, I mean, the mics are open, but really just to to be as if in a set and uh, be silent for two minutes. So what would you say on a set? Silence on set? <laughs> yes, and in this, uh, because there were many French people on this set, it was like, silence, s'il vous plaît, on tourne. So f how long do you want to do it for? Two minutes? Two minutes, yeah. So for two minutes... We'll just all commit to silence and just listen as the screen, uh, as the script said in this little vignette, and then we'll emerge and talk about it. All right. So I'll keep the time. Uh, and, and when the scene starts, I would say, und bitte. And let's start. two minutes thank you <laughs> so i wanted to sort of ask you but also open it up to the audience uh, you know in these two minutes how did your physical experience of being in the space change so for example for me i somehow felt less hot even though i don't think the temperature changed in those two minutes but it's almost as if the sounds that i were hearing made me more sensitive to the air or to the breeze so it almost felt like the temperature went down, you know, like the actual physical reality of the space seemed to change. Um, and I'm curious, Helena, maybe you want to start us off. It's super interesting for me to hear it now, because for me, for example, I wasn't so aware of my own body this time. It's It changes. As I said, like when I know when I have like a closed room and I was for myself to the camera, so I'm... I'm, I'm hyper like uh, sensitive to this, but now I was really like, of course, I have also like a privileged position here so I can look at you. So it was also a nice moment to look at all of you and uh, see you listening. And um, and then and then having all these, I don't know, then there was Portu someone speaking Portuguese. I love to hear it. It's such a beautiful language, but it came in. And then, you know, these these little sounds and you feel as if also this like, place you know with the I, I guess with the warmth like everything like sometimes there were crackers like as the things just moving yeah and i really enjoyed that you're listening to the film comment podcast 
Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. So I want to ask you about how this kind of attention giving, what role that plays in the process of filmmaking. And, you know, I've been thinking about how we think of the camera as this technology that's capturing camera, the sound recorder, you're sort of designating what they will capture. But it seems to me from watching your films and talking to you that as a director, you're also like an instrument, you know, in the moment of filming that's absorbing or capturing something and I'd love to know um, how that works and maybe you could talk about that in reference to a particular scene in Human Flowers of the Flesh Mm -hmm. um, that I personally loved. Uh, Human Flowers of the Flesh is Helena's film that's playing in Locarno right now that premiered at the festival Uh, also sort of an ocean set film but a, a film of so many sublime images, but the one that really, really caught my attention is um, there's a woman on a boat and you see the moon sort of travel from one end of the screen to the other behind her silhouette. It's obviously not the moon that's moving, it's the boat, but you get this impression that the moon is traveling. You told me how you arrived at that shot, so maybe you can start there. It's a good point because... I think some people see might even see a contradiction in the control. Um, people call it control. I don't know if I would, play, but let's call it like that. To, that I have because it's things are very precisely um, framed or written or however. And at the same time, you know, to, to open up and giving space. I don't think there's in contrast. I, for myself, can say that when I'm at other films, watching other films, that I really enjoy when I know that there's a decision that has been made and I can trust the filmmaker and follow that. And then I can open much more. And I think, yeah, so that's what I personally need. Um, And with this shot, it's it's a little bit, it goes into this direction because this film is written based on observations and so on. But then, and and we filmed everything that was in the script. Um, And it helped me that everything was so clear, even like the images there, I knew how I would shoot them. There were no variations, no nothing. It was like really clear. But this helps me to be um, attentive everything else that happens around it much more. It gives me this freedom and the space in the very moment. And this was one of these moments. I mean, of course, I so couldn't... You mean that because you don't intend to improvise, you actually have more space to be spontaneous? I feel for myself, because I, I'm not, you know, because I'm not all the time, like, uh, busy with with that and of course like then we the scene develops on set it changes completely from the I don't want to say that but but still there it helps to have like some uh, certainty already to go into and then to see and hear all all that surrounds it you know this like situation or the scene um and in this case it was like this because I haven't written her of now I know it happens, but it was a moment we were at night at the boat, Angeliki, who's playing Ida. She was sitting there and it was full moon. And I was behind her looking at her actually, but without the camera at that point. And then I, I, I saw the moon moving. And of course I knew immediately, okay, we have to get out the camera and uh, and do it. And um, and I think that's that's beautiful. And there are some um, shots in Human Flowers of Flesh, in Drift, definitely also, that are, um, that happened or that not were created, that, you know, that just unfolded before me in these moments. 
And you have to see it. You have to, yeah, you have to be aware. I mean, this is the thing. Yeah. Yes. And so how do you be aware other than the fact that you come with a certain level of certainty that, um, you know, leaves the space for that awareness, but how do you come with that openness to the world onto the set? That's a good question. How do I come? I mean, I mean, I think one thing that is maybe, I don't know, I, it's maybe a predisposition, you know, that I don't have so many filters, for example, so which can also be problematic. Mm. And also the saying yes thing, I could completely, you know, um, um, relate to that. So like things coming, things come in, and it's very difficult for me to uh, to put borders, or you know, to um, they 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 move me somehow. They enter like anything. What I see, what I hear, what I read. Um, Would you describe that as a kind of distractedness or a kind of attention? You can, it can work both ways. I think it's, and this again depends then from the state you're in or the, the condition or the, the situation, the particular situation. It can be very horrible, but it's at the same time, of course, it's super, it can be super beautiful um, because you are not like curate, pre-curating things. So it's like um, something like that. And then, and of course, the best way is when this this happening and then receiving all this with pleasure and then with the pleasure, like work on it or try to make um, sense. Because I, of course, I mean, we all move through the world trying to understand and to grasp and to... Um, yeah, and these are all like information also, no, that you get and that are then transformed, in my case, into a film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so this this word like understand or grasp, you know, you said, you said we move through the world trying to understand and grasp. So I um, had sort of an argument with a critic about your film mm -hmm. um, who felt that there wasn't enough meaning in the film. And I'm sure that you've, you know, mm -hmm. you make the kind of films, they're, they're not narrative films. You've probably heard these sorts of uh, comments. And what I felt was that the film was beautiful because it invited you to suspend this desire to understand, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I was thinking about some films I saw in New York recently uh, at Anthology Film Archives. There was a series called Imageless Films. So they were, they were very elemental films in the sense that there was a series in which they were films with no sound, there was a series of films with no images. So I saw some uh, films with um, basically no images, just letter or like a scratched piece of film and light passing through it. Um, and almost either no sound or, you know, just sound, these variations. And it made me think about, you know, these sorts of films remind you what is specific to cinema. Cinema is not narrative. Narrative is imposed onto cinema. But we, with the way we talk about cinema nowadays, we just talk about it in terms of narrative. But these films remind you that cinema is materiality. It's sound and image, you know? Um, and it brings you back to that, uh, I guess, early appreciation of cinema, which was not to try to understand it, but to just to marvel yeah. at the technology, at the material. You know, just experience pleasure and surprise. Yeah, and this also, understand this as a certain kind of knowledge also. I mean, this is, for me, like this, putting knowledge as something that is only like rational and, and um, put in language, it's so short. I mean, it's also that, but it's not only that. So, um, and this is for sure, and I, I totally agree. For me, cinema is much more. And I remember, <laughs> I mean, now I can repeat a joke. I really love that joke from um, one of the actors in Human Flowers of Flesh because in the um, Q&A after the premiere, there was a woman who was, uh, I appreciated her anyway, she came, you know, but she was really angry. She wanted to have the key. She wanted like to understand. And I th actually, I think now that she wanted to, something happened to her, but she couldn't place it and she got really angry. Um, and but what she was saying was all the time. So there's all this blue. There's all this blue, and we have, you know, there is. Um, so she swims. She swims. That's very nice. That's very nice. But 
but where's the message? Like, where's the message? And then when we sat down together, Maudu said at some point, he so often thinks the other way around. It's like, okay, I got the message. I got the story. I understood the story. I've heard it thousand times, but where's the blue? So, where's the blue? You know, <laughs> you could. And I thought like, yeah, this is uh, actually, I can completely um, understand. And I have this feeling so often. And it's not only, of course, it's not only about beauty because also in this this film is it has a big violent part also mm -hmm. for example or it like it recalls this um so yeah but i think it's it's um, we are and this goes to attention again i think people tend to want to categorize to simplify which is understandable because it's easier mm -hmm. um but me myself, it bores me, you know, when it gets too simplistic because, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And this is what I find fascinating about the films and about what we're talking about is that it's, there's almost a kind of what we refer to as zoning out, mm -hmm. you know, there's almost a kind of suspension of rational presentness. That's a kind of attention itself. And like you're saying, mm -hmm. it's a kind of attention that is rich with knowledge but it may not be language, it may not be narrative, it may not be these uh, forms of knowledge that um, yeah. you immediately turn to. Yeah, for example, I mean, there are so many things, I get dance, for example. I mean, um, as we see it here, like in Western, it's, you know, it's something for entertainment, for pleasure. It has like, um, you know, a certain sexuality maybe, but it's not... Or rarely more than that, but when then you, and I think there was missing you know in in other cultures, maybe you have dance it's very important, and only because we don't understand these codes or language, it doesn't mean it isn't less complex mm -hmm. i I absolutely don't agree, for example, and I think what happens with these things, like with dance, it's so much happening at the same time with someone and communication and so on that's could maybe be compared to language. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not a scientist like studying this, but just to give an example how we could see also this communication or how we transmit that knowledge or information mm. differently. So I'm curious why you're drawn to the ocean. So, I mean, the ocean, um, I there are a few people who are not... But um, for me, um, I mean, what drew me to drew, drew drew me to drift or to the ocean of drift, for example, was really the curiosity to see how the sea, the ocean as a space, is, but in a concrete sense, not as a metaphor, not loaded with meaning mm. again, but really as a as a space and how how does it feel we were talking about scale before also in the, in the other talk and this is for sure like the the ocean um demands a, a different understanding of scale from you and i always said also that for me it's a huge projection space the next one would be probably the um universe or the you know the space space welt yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and 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 this is something I was interested in, but but then I re, I um, I realized that there are so many different layers of the ocean, and and it's huge. And in human flowers of flesh, it's more like the matter. It's um it's how it moves matter, and mm. and then also with the film trying to uh to tell with the matter. You know, like to to take it as an example in ways of flowing, but also how I work with the material in some points, like chemical or cyanotypes, again to grasp. In German, it's like it's really nice you have for I think it's the to understand is more like verstehen, which is like very cognitive, and then you have begreifen, and begreifen is something because greifen is to this movement like grasp yeah it is to mm. grasp no so and it's really some yes it's tactile and it and of course you have this you know when you uh it's again it's a, but and for me and in german at least i think it's used uh it's deeper begreifen is deeper than 
verstehen, understanding. It's interesting. I mean, so when you are working with something like the ocean, how do you assess duration? You know, in drift, how did you know that this is the portion of the film uh, that was going to be devoted to images and sounds of the ocean? I mean, what gives it structure? I guess. It's a it's a really good question because um, and I don't have a definite answer um, because for me again like when I have the material so once I have shot and I have the material I watch it many many times in order to try to understand its rhythms and with the ocean it was super difficult and I didn't expect it to be so difficult I must confess so because I thought okay you have the waves and you know like. <laughs> But no, it's, um, I mean, you have first, you have very many different, of course, the dunes, you know, like the big waves, then you have the, the little ones in, on the surface. You have, so, and all of this doesn't sink necessarily. And then there's also never, you also think, okay, you have like a period in terms of rhythm with the waves mm -hmm. that it's, you know, like uh, constant, but it's not. And to get into this, um, well, it was really just, watching first mm -hmm. and then I tried things and many things didn't make sense and then okay how long and of course it's through my subjective um I mean I subjectively then decided on the duration but um but it was for me very much completely given from the material and it's it's with the sea with other things it's also um but the sea is uh, more complicated than other so, things. what did it give you? Yes, it is mm -hmm. this, but it is this, like, um, I think how time works there, because there's also this thing, I mean, I keep telling everybody, I'm sure, who had been on the sea knows that time expands. Mm. And I have no answer to why that happens. I have no idea, <laughs> even though I had been there often. Mm. Um, now, but it's it's a phenomenon, and it also happens already when you swim. You know, so you swim outside and you look at the land. Something happens there with time. So, it there is a relation be between space and time. We know that, but this this is particular. And when you then try to you know bring it to 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 a place like cinema, which also has um you know has a time then because I know okay we will be seated here in this concentrated um situation um it was it was at least my attempt to yes to translate that to 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 a certain per perception and then to go with it like to really go with the sea and this movement yeah mm. and so there is this extremely elemental aspect to both films right just coming from from the ocean, nature, the world, the images. And then there's also the world of cinema. Mm -hmm. You know, in the first film, there's Wavelength, Michael Snow's Wavelength, that is, there's a very direct homage to it. And then uh, here we have Beau Travail with the presence of Denis Levant. And so uh, to me, these, these are also two different kind of, kinds of attention to, you know, attention to, to like I said, to the elements, to the world, to something very tactile, and then maybe to something like memory. Yeah. You know, like films, like when you watch both of these films, um, you don't see them as references to other films. They feel like memories of those other films or some like ghostly imprints of those other films have found your, their way into your film. So can That's you talk nice. a little bit about how you bring those two together? Yeah, yeah, that's nice because I think it's it's not an homage. I was never interested, you know, have this plan, okay, I want to quote. Of course, I took them because they, I, I like them. Of course, they, they, I mean, or I, they did something to me, you know, right. they made something. So that's why they came back. But, um, but it's not, but it is um, as much in my world and, as are all the other things. I mean, I love cinema. I go to cinema and um, I spend lots of time in cinema. It's really it's really same as books, as being in a forest. Um, <laughs> and so it's all like this material and again, these, and then they come together 
because I see something happens there when I bring, for example, a certain part of Marguerite Duras' text from from a novel um, in, onto this boat, these persons speaking in the night, then I have this, oh, let's, you know, I'm curious about what happens then, like, because I feel there's, it, it will bring something new. If not, I wouldn't do it. But it's also not like in this sense, like conceptual that I, no, or I don't. I wouldn't do it if not. You know, there's always this kind of surprise, and okay, let's let's see, let's bring it together. And this is yeah, with cinema, it's it's the same thing with this term nature, where I completely feel um, part of that. I mean, for me, nature is nothing like divided from me or from culture or from from cinema, from technology. I think it's for me, it's really all. Um, completely interweaved and intermingled and but yeah can you talk about uh, you know the casting of Denny Levant in this film and how you developed that strand mm-hmm. um because it's very interesting it's like you said it's never like an homage it's almost like as if you know the person the character following him in the film is like you just following him as mm-hmm. like the actor from Bochavai, curious about what will happen. It's just like as if you're following an obsession rather than paying an homage to another film. So I'm very curious about how that came into Human Flowers of the Flesh. Yeah, it's funny because I had an interview or something and I sometimes like obsessed. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, oh, probably, probably. <laughs> but I don't, yes. And so, I mean, but it's, but then it's really, um, it's nice because what happened with uh, and and yeah and it continues. There's um, uh, with Denis Lavant in um, in Human Flowers of Flesh was because they were the French for is the French Foreign Legion and and all the ones who haven't seen the film um, it's the sea but there are of course other things and the, it follows the traces of the French Foreign Legion kind of uh, through the Mediterranean and um, and when I started researching it the the film Beau Travail was the only like imagery or knowledge I had about the French Foreign Legion at that time. And for me, him, Denis Lavant, as the Foreign Legionnaire was iconic. I mean, he was for me like the perfect image of the Foreign Legionnaire. And then at some point I had this like pleasure in thinking of him Mm, re- reappearing in the same role because it's uh, while well, Galou in the end of the end of Botrabai, the ending is open, and um, which wasn't planned in the first step by Claudini. I think um, he should have killed himself, but he doesn't. And there's the dancing scene, which was improvisation in, in the end of that film. So it's open again. It ends in Marseille, and he's expelled from the Legion in that film. Um, so I thought, okay, what would this character do? And for me, like this continuous um, occupation of a former colony, you know, to think about it this way um, made total sense. And it is like, and that w- it's nice that you said ghost because Denise said to me, like quite from the beginning, uh, for me, it's like haunting the st- the streets of City Belavis. And I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a good um way to put it and he also told me that it's funny because in Beautravail there's Michel Subor who is the uh, the general in Beautravail and he had been inspired I didn't know that huh? that was what Denise, he had been inspired by Le Petit um, Soldat from Godard so they, and he said now I'm like the continuation of this like you know um inheritance of cinema cinematic like figures but it was a coincidence that it happened like that chain of ghosts yeah you know i really loved the exercise we did and the text that you wrote because it just reminded me of like the beauty of like paying attention together you know i mean there's you can can meditate you know you can close your eyes and be silent in a space there's something very spiritual and magical about paying attention together. Um, and I was thinking about how this happens on both sides of the screen or both sides of the camera, right? Like in the, the-, the theater is that space for everyone to be quiet mm-hmm. and to listen 
you know, to really pay attention. And then you demonstrated how that also happens behind the camera, like in the making of the film. And um, I, I'm curious about, you know, your relationship to the communal experience of cinema and how you see your films as objects. Like, are they objects for you that are to be experienced communally? Are they you know, nowadays films are, can be experienced all sorts of ways alone in various scales. Um, and I'm just curious about your relationship to that experience. Yeah, for me, it's, it's just something very special and it's, it's really a gift. And this moment, all these two minutes, um, for me, it's, it's really, yeah, because of course this, you can create because we are sitting here and you are asking you for, but when we are in a square in the place, I can remain silent and listen. But this thing of, like this collectiveness of listening and that is so different and it's of course in the cinema it's the same it's so different to sit together and watch a film i watch films also i have a, like a home cinema because many films are not shown in the cinemas that i want to watch um and um i do that of course but it's not the same and i realized it a lot during the pandemic for example how much i missed because in the beginning i was like oh that's great i watch a lot of films and i did huh? i like crazy but but then i was like it was sad <laughs> in, in so, so much was missing so yes i love this um this experience together and same on the set like um it's it's just something that is out of the ordinary also, you know? I mean, it's... Um, and you work so much um, to, to make a film, years, and then when you're on, on set, I really celebrate it for myself because I know this is... Now I work to create this situation, to be together, to do... to experience this together already on the set. And then the film itself now... And I really mean it now it's something new starts with the film. It's also a bit sad because the, now my work on the film itself is done <laughs> and it changes. And it's also not so easy to let go, even though I will accompany it and it's, it's vi still vivid. But this has to do with the collective experience that it stays vivid um, because the, the moment when you watch a film or listen to a piece of music or whatever um changes we were also talking about that how much it um yeah i think it makes a complete difference like especially with by, with films like drift or, or human flowers of flesh how you come in and what you expect or not or if you're relaxed or if you're stressed or if i don't know what it it makes a difference yeah. I've also been thinking a lot, you know, through the pandemic, watching movies. I mean, as a film critic, I watch movies on my computer all the time. I mean, watching links all the time. It's just how it is. Uh, and that increased more during the pandemic. And there is a convenience aspect to it. And I also don't feel necessarily like a purist. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think that films cannot be no. watched in that way. But what I started missing was a sense of discipline. Um, and, you know, I started thinking about how I sometimes want films to make me do things that I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I want the theatrical experience to demand a discipline for me to cause me to fight my urges. Mm -hmm. So there is something about a, the theatrical experience sometimes and with films like yours that do challenge you to keep paying attention, right? Even when there is the temptation to leave or there is mm -hmm. the temptation to, to turn away. and that is something that's very hard to come by without the theatrical experience. And I know that at the start of this 24-hour conversation, uh, there was a chat with the curator, Abby Sun. And when she was asked about what the job of curating is, she said um, that a friend had told her that it's sort of like setting up a grocery store. So you decide how people will move through the store. So what are they going to see first? The milk or the vegetables or the chocolate? You know, and not every film has to be chocolate. Uh, and at what height the various items in the grocery store will be placed, right? So which things should be easily accessible, which should require more looking. And I just loved this metaphor because I started thinking about how it seems kind of unromantic to say that some films should, films should be like eating vegetables. Mm -hmm. But 
during the pandemic, I realized that is what I love about watching movies in the cinema. Yes, it's it's also I I know the same, and I know there are some films that I wouldn't watch at home because I have exactly this, but in the cinema I enjoy them a lot, uh, and maybe even the other way around, you know, the easygoing like okay at home it works, and the cinema I would be like. Pfft. Um, <laughs> super bored, um, <laughs> but it's um, and yeah, and I think it's it's and I'm also not puristic at all. I really believe, um, for example, also that films sh should be accessible for everyone because we learn with it. Like we, the education, you know, is by it. And when when you love a film at that or I can say for myself okay when I love a film I have seen it at home and was nice but then it's screened in the cinema I go again of course so it's not like competing for me in that sense then we have the big you know corporate like Netflix it's different um uh different discourse then but but in general I I really agree with no it's it's totally okay that we can watch films on on many in many situations but also then with film critics I was thinking also something I talked about uh, I once heard this idea um sometimes it's strange for me to to read no it's not strange but sometimes I would love to read film critics that involve the experience you know so because exactly this like okay so where have you watched the film when like with whom I, I, I'm not names but you know how was that and like um and yeah just sometimes because it's very it's mostly le left out yeah and that's a really good point that also relates back to attention because the type of attention we pay differs at home in the cinema and I often wonder how that affects my opinion of a film. Mm -hmm. But then I also wonder if I mention that, oh, I watched it at home and I took like five <laughs> breaks, you know, to eat and to go to the bathroom. I mean, what does that, does that just invalidate the experience of criticism then? No, no, yeah. no. I completely no. It shouldn't be every time. But there are sometimes, you know, because I know for me also there are these super special moments i mean with the sleep for example now what is it it's it's so um so it could perfectly well go into a critique or if it's a beautiful cinema or yeah. you know it's i don't know yeah and that's or, also like almost like you were saying that you go onto the set with some planning and certainty and then you start to notice all these things there's an aspect to viewing a film also where you go to receive something that is there for you. It's in the four, you know, uh, sides of the screen, but then you allow yourself to notice other things. And um, I had this experience at the Berlinale uh, a couple years ago during the premiere of Days by Simon Liang. Have you watched that? I have. What it's yeah. It's uh, yes. It was. It was one of my. It was. It's another super experience uh, that, to see this film in the cinema. I yeah. mean, it's incredible. And imagine this at home. I don't know who has watched this film, has, but watching have people who've seen it. Yes. Yeah. So okay. okay. It's it's highly intimate. It's it's very. But to experience like this this moment with other people in cinema, it's crazy and so so nice yeah and i and because i was at the world premiere you know and so no one knew mm -hmm. what the film was about other than the fact that it said this film has no dialogue you know that that even before the the press kit the press release had said so people were very curious so it's a film with no words and the opening shot is almost five minutes it's, it's almost five minutes and uh, it's lee kang sheng just sitting and looking outside of a window and it's raining mm -hmm. and it's a beautiful sound of the water and nature and it's just his face which of course yes. if you watch the films of Simon Liang you're used to paying attention to Lee Kang Sheng's face and I remember a few minutes pass and you know a couple minutes pass and people start to look around like I think people are wondering is something wrong with the projection <laughs> you know is the is this film stuck people are looking at each other you know they're checking their watches and I just it's almost like I was zooming out from the screen and I could hear just the bodies around me moving you know and so to me that that is the experience of the film so uh, you know and when I left the theater I just felt that 
all of us who were leaving had experienced some bodily change in that time. Yes, and something like together, no? Because, yeah, yeah, no, no, this was... And actually, when I watched... I remember when I, I didn't I watch it in the premiere, but in a... Um, it was, I think, um, in the big palace of Festspiele. So, and... Um, after this film, I decided to not watch another film in the festival because it was so, um, so beautiful this, as an experience. Yeah. So whenever you have the chance, yes. <laughs> do it. <laughs> so we're right at the end of this hour. So as per the rules of the game, we bring on another guest. Thank you very much no, for but, your but, question. But you can stay. Uh, it's true. You can't. You don't have to, but you could. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode from the Future of Attention at the Locarno Film Festival featuring filmmaker Kamal Al-Jafari. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcommon.com.